Pastors and church planners around the world need your help to receive a confessional Reformed Baptist theological education. Introducing the William Carey Scholarship Fund at Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. You can help students like Sam in India afford seminary training and Bible software with thousands of critically needed theological books. To learn how you can help, visit cbtseminary.org slash carry. You are listening to Particular Pilgrims, stories from Reformed Baptist history with commentary. I'm your host, Ron Miller, pastor of Covenant Baptist Church of Clarksville, Tennessee, and a longtime student and collector of particular Baptist history. We're on the Man of God Network, brought to you by Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. We've been talking about Hercules Collins, the third pastor of the particular Baptist church meeting in Wapping, London. This church is usually considered the first particular Baptist church in England after being formed sometime in the 1630s by removals from the Jacob Lathrop Jesse, the JLJ, semi-separatist congregation. Its first pastor was John Spilsbury. Little is known of him outside of his pastoring and writing. He was born about 1593 and died sometime between 1663 and 1668. But he was a pioneer, to use Dr. Jim Renahan's title, for the Baptists. B.R. White said that Spilsbury was the first particular Baptist to preach and practice believers' baptism. He was also likely the main producer of the 1644 First London Confession of Faith. He holds the honor of being the second particular Baptist to publish on the subject of baptism. In 1643, under the initials J.S., Spilsbury produced a treatise concerning the lawful subject of baptism. In just under 50 pages, he responds to the challenges given against those who denied infant baptism. In the introduction to the work, and also at the very end, he makes several fascinating historical allusions. First, he says that some godly persons from, quote, a far country beyond the seas, who had doubts about infant baptism, wrote and asked for his help. They had been attacked for their views and asked Spilsbury to defend them. This points to there being other like-minded people in where? Ireland? Holland? Where is beyond the seas? How did they know of Spilsbury? Were they merchants who traveled between London and the continent, perhaps? We don't know, but it widens the field of those questioning infant baptism at the time. Spilsbury also explains the book as being a way to defend himself. In that day, disagreeing with the state church was not just heterodox, but seditious. You were not only irreligious, but a traitor. And to question infant baptism, which was the means of entrance into both church and state, was thought by some to be worthy of death. Spilsbury writes that some men, quote, were so incensed against me as to seek my life. This was apparently more than a mere threat, as he goes on, quote, as some have done. He hoped that by explaining his position from the scriptures 
and giving a short ten-point confession of faith, which was appended to the book, that his opponents would see their predominant agree with, agreement with him. That his opponents would see their predominant agreement with him. The treatise has two basic parts. The first section opposes infant baptism as, quote, an unwritten tradition. This opening explanation is important. By unwritten, he means not found in Holy Scripture. All of his reasoning is rooted in the Reformed Protestant and Puritan view of the Bible being the only sufficient repository of divine revelation about worship and salvation. His position was that if infant baptism isn't found there, then it is invalid. Spilsbury shows himself to be arguing for a religious practice not in the line or tradition of the Anabaptists or Roman Church, but as a Reformed Christian. Then before he gets into the main two arguments, he answers several emotional charges. First, he directly states that, quote, I would not be understood that I oppose infants in respect of their persons or age or salvation itself, but honor them, desiring their safety and well-being here and glory hereafter. But what their state is in respect of grace, that I do not know, he goes on to say. But as the same appears by some effect of faith, until which time, as I condemn none, no more dare I justify all, but leave them all unto the good pleasure of God. Several more times in the book, Spilsbury professes love for infants and denies that they all go to hell. Instead, he says, the scriptural way of baptism is for the effects of saving faith to be evident later in their lives. And secondly, he denies being a re-baptizer. Since infant baptism is not a scriptural baptism, a proper immersion upon faith is a first baptism. Finally, he defines baptism as immersion only. His view was rooted in scripture and following those that he called, quote, the best learned in the land in their writings and dictionaries. Then entering his main point, he begins on common ground. He states, quote, whatever is done in the worship of God or obedience to Christ without his command or apparent example approved by Christ is of man as a voluntary will worship. This is, of course, an appeal to the regulative principle of worship, a truth widely agreed upon among the Reformed. Since infant baptism didn't have a command or example in the New Testament, Spilsbury urged his fellow Protestants to drop the ritual. The heart of his argument, though, is a detailed treatment of the Abrahamic covenant. He shows that despite other Puritans' claims, this covenant does not prove infant baptism. In fact, he says, a right understanding of it agrees with believers only having that privilege. So Spilsbury is a covenant theologian. He sees continuity and discontinuity between the old and new covenants under what he calls the one covenant of grace. 
They are not identical, nor are they unrelated to each other. And he says that making the proper distinctions leads to the baptism not of infants, but of those who show the evidence of faith. Much of the book presents the, quote, reasons and arguments that he received from overseas. Then, one by one, he answers his opponents. What is perhaps most impressive is the depth of understanding he shows, both for his opponent's position and the scriptural data. For a man without a university degree, just a few years into his own grasp of biblical baptism, it is a remarkable book. He understands types and how they function. He argues that Abraham had a double seed, and he sets a general pattern for this debate that continues until today. He ably makes proper and subtle distinctions. He is agreeable in tone and yet frank in his words. He argues cogently from many, many passages. His knowledge of Scripture and the wide range of topics that made up covenant theology is deep. And one of his clear motivations is to exalt Christ as husband to his bride, the church. In so many ways, he set a good example for us to follow. In the second part of the book, Spilsbury faces the question of what is the status of those baptized in a false or anti-Christian church. Now, clearly, this has reference to the Anglican Church of his day, and as a Baptist and as a separatist, not a semi-separatist, he does not believe that the state church is a true church. Well, in short, he denies any such baptism to be a true and Christian baptism. How, he asks, can a baptism administered by the power of Antichrist be the same as God's ordinance? Since baptism brings one into the church, what role can an apostate church play in this? Strong words, but ones that fit with the prominent uh, separatist understanding of the day. Finally, Spilsbury several times clearly asserts several things about baptism that are debated among Reformed Baptists today. First, he alludes to his belief that baptism is rightly administered by the ministers of Christ, or what he calls, quote, a lawful minister. And secondly, he repeatedly calls the ordinance of baptism a seal. Clearly, he is working from the context of Puritanism with its strong and scriptural views of the sacraments and the special stewardship of the man of God. In sum, Spilsbury is a particular Baptist because he is a Reformed Puritan. He arrives at faith baptism, what we call credo-baptism, because, not in spite of, his covenant theology and the regulative principle of worship. Thank you for listening today. This is Ron the Baptist wishing you grace and peace.